everyone, and welcome to the 17th annual Harlem International Film Festival. This is our virtual edition. By the way, the film festival has been extended one more week, so we are now going to May 22nd, 2022. So if you can, hop on eventive.org or go to the harlemfilmfestival.org website and you can screen the virtual films. All the films are available one more additional week. And we thank you for being here. Today, we have a talk back with one of our filmmakers and a special guest who was in the film. The film is called The Truth Tellers, and we're here with director Richard Kane, along with storyteller, singer, songwriter, vocalist, educator, Reggie Harris. Welcome guys to the talk back. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Marcos. It's great to thank see you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Harlem International Film Festival. Absolutely. Listen guys, I have questions. First question <laughs> yeah. is, <laughs> I hope so. Not sure. <laughs> do what we can. This is directed to you, um, Richard. What do you want us to know about this incredible film? Well, I want you to know about Reggie Harris. So that's why Reggie's here today. Um, I, I, as I mentioned just before we started, uh, we actually, my, my partner and I, Melody, um, started making films, well, many, many years ago. But uh, Reggie and his partner then, uh, Kim Harris, were subjects of ours in, in 1991 when we were making films for the uh, Kennedy Center Education Department. And they were, they were, essentially teaching teachers, you know, about their projects uh, with Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad and all the songs that they were writing and, and singing and leading with, uh, with school kids. So uh, we've known, you know, Reggie for so many years. And, and then Rob Shetterly, the subject of our film Truth Tellers, um, met Reggie and, um, and obviously he said, well, Reggie's got to be one of my uh, portrait subjects. And you know, we, we gave it a an enthusiastic yeah, yeah. Reggie's Reggie's the one. Um, so that's one of the things that I'd like you to know about it. I, I mean, in the Americans with Television Portrait series, I was thinking about using art as therapy. I was very angry about where this country was going as we were being led into another war that didn't need to be fought. And I thought, you know, what can I do? The earth is in charge, the cosmos is in charge, nature's in charge, we are. Thank goodness our attempts at genocide of native people were not successful. And when you see us as humans, we can better advocate for our rights to clean air and water. Listen, there are other ways to make money. This is not only about equality, it's about existence. If y'all just witnessed something amazing, I want you to say yeah! Yeah! All right, can you hear that world? Yeah! yeah! And these young people are the moral leaders of our time. And unless millions of students are not coming to see themselves as activists for climate justice, then we're doomed. Today, we make a change! Why was that so scary? It was really just me trying to change something in my own backyard, right? about the belief that there is something greater than your fear. It is about staring down fear and having faith that we can make a better world. 
I tasted the bitter fruits of segregation and I didn't like it. I got in trouble. It was good trouble, necessary trouble. That's how we know who we are, by knowing these stories, identifying with these people, because that's where the best of this country is. You know, making films is uh, is a difficult process, and it's a long process, and and for me at least. And, and I started this this project, Truth Tellers, about Rob Shetterly in uh, 2005. But Rob and I actually started making films together. He was a partner of mine in um, beginning in 1999, uh, beginning a series of films about. Uh, specifically Maine artists, great American artists with a connection to Maine. And um, and then, so when um, the 9-11 happened and I witnessed Rob becoming enraged with our country's entry into the Iraq war in 2003, um, I just kind of was wondering, well, how is this going to have an impact on his his art? And, um, and then I basically followed, you know, that progress. And uh, by 2005, he had a, 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 a collection of portraits and, uh, and he got a, um, uh, an event and a, an exhibit at the Columbia University Low Library, which is a gorgeous rotunda. And we went down there and he, he and his team of uh, people from the Americans Who Tell the Truth, which is the name of his project, uh, pulled together uh, people and uh, from the Harlem schools and and others, Riverside Church, and um, so I I said this sounds sounds like an opportunity to me. Um, so and you see in the film early in the film where he escorts a group of kids from the Harlem schools uh, around the rotunda specifically to see Sojourner Truth, and she was I mean so uh, perfect for. The beginning of the film and also the beginning of whenever Rob tells a story about his project because she talks about you know how the constitution um you know has a little weasel in it and kids really respond to that and and all of us really respond to that because it's not you know we didn't we didn't start out when Thomas Jefferson wrote you know liberty and justice and equality for all um you know how many kids know that he had you know 607 slaves so it wasn't really, you know, equality for all. But um, so, and that exhibit, um, it had, it, there were about maybe 30 uh, of his portrait subjects. And Sojourner Truth and Fannie Lou Hamer ended up in the film. And, um, but you know, when you start a project, you don't really know what the focus of it's going to be, especially when, you know, talking about Rob Shetterly, and he has, now he has 260 portraits. And they're all they're from so many different areas of uh, of interest ed education and climate and um, you know uh, mass incarceration and and uh, income inequality and and healthcare and there're just so many uh, uh, subjects um, that I just basically just followed him followed what he was doing because he was just so uh, charismatic and articulate and so easy to listen to and and um, you can really absorb what he says, and as it looks like you got a question there, Marcus. I, I do, yeah. What 
Why would that strike a chord with you? Why would um, that strike a chord with you? I know why it would strike a chord with me and, and the viewers who are watching, they may not know what I mean until they see the film, but why would that strike right. a chord with you? Well, it was a lot, a lot of the film and his project is about the injustices that fall upon um, the marginalized. And uh, although I'm a person of um, white privilege, as is Rob, um, I, I grew up, um, I guess, not, not that far after the Holocaust, and I came from a Jewish American family, and I felt um, the, uh, um, I guess, the discrimination against, against Jews, or at least historically, I didn't really feel it all that personally. Um, but I just was so uh, enamored with his ability to articulate those injustices that, um, and, and you know, when I was, you know, seven years old, I was uh, watching television. I was privileged enough to have a television in 1957. And, um, and there was, uh, um, oh, Simon Legree. And uh, what, what's the name of the, the great, the great book of uh, the great, a book and then film. Um, sorry, at my age, sometimes words. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, it, it, like I cried through, and this was all about. What, so, somebody help me, uh, Reggie. Do you remember the uh, Simon Legree was the actor in a film about slavery and? Um, okay, all I'm just as old as you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. I'm blanking. <laughs> well, the in the audience, the audience will know right. um, what what story, and I'll come up with it in about five minutes. Um, and I just I just wept uncontrollably for I don't know ten minutes, you know, seeing the the um, the tragedy of of slavery and the the um, the whippings, and it just it just hit me so deeply. So you know, all even though I I lived in a white community and um, didn't have much experience with people of color. Um, it was somehow ingrained in my um, psyche and my body about um, feeling the, you know, the necessity to right the inju injustices. Uncle so, Tom's cabin. <laughs> I'm sorry, Reggie, go. Uncle jump Tom's right cabin. Uncle Tom's cabin, thank you. <laughs> So I, I wept uncontrollably for quite a while. And, and, and it actually happens to me rather regularly while making films, which is one of the things that I love about making films is that I can, I can get into this state where I can, I can cry uncontrollably when something hits me about, you know, often music being laid over a scene. And when that happens... I know I'm onto something. So, um, yeah, it's about the process of, of, of making film and, um, and the process of, you know, the, the art of making a film. But, you know, I wanted to talk more, a little bit more about white privilege and, and maybe we can, uh, uh, I should let Reggie do some of the talking and- uh, Yeah, Reggie, feel free to jump, jump in anytime. Okay. Well, I, I love the question, um, you know, what, what uh, connected with you, um, the thing, f I, I love the fact that this film came out of Rob Shatterley's brokenness. 
his anger, his being imminently touched by uh, the actions of our nation, uh, which over the course of history um, have just been repeated and repeated in this systematic effort to uh, deny rights and deny privilege of others. Uh, and the fact that he is a white man who is uh, speaking out of that pain and out of that anger uh, and then as an artist, finding such a powerful way to address it and that he addressed it by focusing us on people who also had their own connections to either anger or, or fear or oppression and have uh, allowed that to inform their actions. Uh, I spent this last week uh, doing performances in Charlotte, North Carolina with three public schools and um, doing a program on Martin Luther King Jr. And the fact that um, I, I make the point that Martin Luther King Jr. didn't wake up at some point and just realize that he was going to be this great icon, that he, like all of us, went through a process as a child of learning, of, of sitting in a community of people who were striving to do, to be. Uh, and he took on some of those attributes of the people like Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and um, uh, Benjamin Banneker, all of those people who came through that cauldron of oppression uh, and then re realizing that he had a light that he could shine. Uh, that's the quest that so many of us have been on. I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, surrounded by some of those uh, same people who went north on the black migration. And even though they weren't explaining their journey to me, they were modeling the fact that their perseverance in the face of, you know, segregation and oppression, you know, my own family members, and then finding out later that, you know, my family began on a plantation in, in Ashland, Virginia, Hickory Hill, and the connections that we had and, and a connection to the white family that not only owned us, but was part of us as uh, my great, great grandfather is the slave master who had six children by, you know, his enslaved woman, Bivana. This story of of America and of the world is so complicated, and yet it is also so simple. And I think what Rob does is he pinpoints, you know, the complexity and the simplicity in the faces of the people that he chooses. Uh, and as he said, they inspired him to be better. They inspired him through the painting of these various uh, portraits uh, to exercise his ability to act. And, uh, and looking at these actions, Many of us, you know, we feel that we can't make uh, an, an important contribution to the world. Um, so that, that's what I love to take into the schools. That's what I love to talk about in my own work uh, because it makes me feel connected to all of these people. I will tell you that when Rob told me he was gonna paint a portrait of me as a truth teller, I kind of looked at him with this thought, <laughs> you know, why are you choosing me? And I've said this many times, but I feel for myself that it was an opportunity to live into something. I was already doing things, but I, I didn't have the commitment then that has grown in me um, as part of this chain of human events and as part of this. That's human a beautiful family. thought. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but no, that, that's no, actually okay. a beautiful thought to, you know, you yourself not feeling like you were, you fit that shoe but then with the confirmation of someone else that tells you, yes, you are, you're doing something that's valuable to not just, you know, yourself, but to the community, to the state, to the country, to the world, 
Yeah. You know, the platform is so much bigger with one little thing that you're doing, you're, you're touching and reaching a lot of people. That's what we do with music. That's what we do with art. And that's what I think is beautifully done in this film. Now you guys, you pull together some footage and, you know, um, uh, people, like you said, Fannie Lou Hamer, these are all, you know, pivotal points in our, in our American history, not just black history, it's American history, some untold history, you know, things that have been skated around, you know, and given a different viewpoint, but you guys all put it right there in everybody's face to see. So we know, so we connect, so we understand, you know, and it's important. And I think what you're doing, you know, Mr. Harris is, is, is teaching the kids because that's what's going to make the big change. Where are we going in the future? We're already here. You know, we're here. We're, we're trying to change the laws and make everything happen, but it's a mindset that we have to get to where everybody's taking that and moving forward. The continuum, I think, and, and you make a very good point. You know, the we are here and these are the choices that we make. Yes. You know, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about the film is that, uh, Rob, in letting the various subjects speak for themselves, speak for where they caught the spark. Um, and, and then you, we get to see in their own lives and our own lives, since I am part of the film, uh, to see where it is that, you know, that spark started, but where it grew, you know, the choices that lead to choices that lead to choices. Uh, that's the amazing thing about history is that we're constantly making it. And, uh, and every day that we get up, it's a new opportunity to let that light shine a little brighter. Um, because we are constantly faced with opportunities where we have to recommit, you know, and I think that's the thing. I think this film, for me, just speaks so truly to the ongoing nature of the struggle. How are we slighted, you know, as Americans, as citizens of the world, global citizens, how are we slighted by not knowing the true history? Well, you know, the thing I often point out to my audiences, and, and particularly the adult audiences that I see, uh, because, you know, we have this sense that uh, everyone in the world um, wants what we want, that everyone in the world wants, you know, everybody to have enough food, that they you know, want the environment to be better. I, I found over the last 10 years it very necessary to remind folks, either in song or in story or just by saying it plain, that that is not the fact that this nation is filled, uh, this world is filled with power brokers who don't want what we want. They want control. Uh, and I think in, throughout the film, we see the ways in which I love that scene in the bank um, where, you know, you're, you're just seeing a group of people who have decided to disrupt their own lives and to put themselves at risk by doing what fo most folks don't want to do, break the law, you know, go into a bank and, and stop its operation. We forget that those people who worked on the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, all those folks, you know, all of the black and white and, and people of, of, of different races and backgrounds, to work on the Underground Railroad, you were breaking the law of federal policy in America to help people to get freedom. Right. So sometimes the choices we make put us at risk and sometimes they, uh, they oppose what our nation or what our world has codified as normal operations, ways things are supposed to go. And unfortunately, these are the people that we have to hold up. I love the fact that the, the film really makes the point that the marginalized 
have made the true the words of our constitution and you know and our our principled words come to life and what what's also wonderful is how rob um, portrayed uh, bayard rustin who is uh, one of the lesser known but significant uh, figures in civil rights who actually taught Martin Luther King about the value of nonviolent civil disobedience. And was the architect of the, the March on Washington. Exactly. Yeah. And then we see it in the scene that you just described of uh, in the Chase Bank, because they are the largest funders of fossil fuel projects in, in the world, on the planet. Um, and so it's so important that we recognize um, the value of nonviolent civil disobedience um, because it it uh, follows through our history and it changes it changes our history for the better. It absolutely does. So you know it, it, the film uh, we didn't really know what the film was going to be about until you know really until George Floyd was was killed in uh, May of uh, 2020 and that's when we started to focus on. Uh, racial injustice and 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 climate change being two two of the most important uh, subjects of our time. And today, you know, history moves on, and uh, I mean, it's still about climate change and and racial justice. Um, but democracy has become, you know, that much more on the top of all of our minds. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, white privilege. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in part because um, I think it's really to continue my own education about privilege and, and how to dismantle it. Now, um, we, we came up with a, a fine cut of the film, and that was not a subject that was, or, or a word that was even breathed. And then we realized through showing it to some of our um, reviewers that we really needed to hit this subject, you know, head on. And uh, so we interviewed uh, Rob about white privilege and some other more um, deeply personal uh, issues. And uh, let me just uh, repeat what Rob said. I have the quote sitting here. Long before I was even conscious of anything to do with white privilege, I was a product of white privilege. And like most people who are, you're totally unaware of it until years later when you look back and say, oh my God, almost everything that happened in my life was based on that privilege. But rather than thinking of it as something to be ashamed of or something to tiptoe around and not talk about, instead I have for many years thought about it as a call to responsibility. And I kind of wanted to, that's the quote, and I kind of wanted to open that up a little bit if we have the time. Yeah, and and thanks. And, and talk a little bit about how that... Um, sits with the audience and you both as both audiences and participants um you know what you know the elephant in the room is that we have a film about racial justice that's made by a white man and about a white man and uh we did an inter interview with um uh, uh, stephen help me with his last name reggie <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to send me better Stephen, emails. <laughs> Stephen Ritz, great, great educator from the South Bronx, who hopefully will be in, in our sequel. Um, and uh, he talked about, you know, the kids in his, in his school, you know, why would they listen to a, a, 
an old, bold white man. So that was, and they were both old, bold white men. So it's it a wonderful <laughs> interview. Uh, fortunately, I still have a little bit left. But I am an old white man. This, this is kind of what the point of my, my first question was. Why, you know, how did this resonate with you? And Reggie, you said it, you know, why, why you? I mean, you know, and it doesn't um, negate or uh, lessen, you know, the, the value of the story that you're telling. But I was just curious why you as a, a white man would want to tell this story of injustice, would want to tell the story of, you know, climate change, things that affect marginalized communities. Right, um, right. Yeah, that's, that's the big well, you know, I, I'm just very, very um, sensitive to uh, the marginalized, and um, so I just needed to jump in there and do that. And that, and I think that was—it's probably one of the, if not the most um, uh, powerful um, subjects in Americans to tell the truth uh, in in all of his subjects. I think it, and I think it's a, a, a central part of American history that we don't learn enough about. And I think that there's a, an effort now on the part of some politicians to squash that history. So I think that it's so important, you know, the, the 11 points of uh, to rescue America. They don't wanna teach uh, anything. They just wanna teach kids to salute the flag and to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Right. And not to not to learn anything about um, slavery and the civil rights movement. As I said earlier, uh, you know that is the power base in the world that um, to to continue to keep their status and to can to, to continue to keep control. Uh, those stories don't serve their interest. Um, and one of the things you know, I have the the privilege to not only work with Dick and also with uh, Rob Shetterly, but uh, to do programs with a, a number of other artists um, who, uh, as white people, um, have seen their their white privilege. They have come into contact with where that sea of privilege has um, made it almost impossible for them to realize that they're just swimming in a sea of pilgrimage. And once it's seen, then there comes the responsibility of sharing what you know. Um, as uh, two of my friends, um, uh, Alistair Mook and Greg Greenway say, you know, they understand that hearing the message from another white person is very different than hearing it from a person of color. Yeah. And so now as people who have come face to face with how the system of oppression and racism works. Uh, they can speak and they also are, are privileged to have the language and the look that might hold sway with people who look and talk and, you know, speak like them. Uh, so they have taken very seriously. Uh, one of my colleagues, Alistair Mook, um, in seeing, for example, last year when the Recording Academy, the folks who give out the Grammys, uh, anointed five more white artists as the best in children's music, he and several colleagues said, no, no, we understand the way the system works. Uh, and after conversations with you know their, communi their uh, communities of, and colleagues of color, uh, three of them, uh, decided that they would refuse the nominations and put the Recording Academy on notice that um, they, as white people, were no longer going to participate in this system. Uh, within a year, 
that uh, nominations process changed. And this year it was much more representative of artists of color and, and totality of artists. Um, but they realized that they, as privileged white people, could make change by giving something up in the same way that my relatives, the, uh, my white cousins the Wickhams, realized that uh, their privilege through the years had enabled them to reach a place where even though the family lost its wealth, you know, for the most part after the Civil War, they were still privileged and, and, and went forward in history with a greater sense than the black side of the family, the Hewlett's on my side. Uh, so they did uh, a few things. They targeted some uh, communities of color in Richmond, Virginia. Um, they also created a scholarship uh, for students of color, um, beginning to realize that our nation, you know, you're not responsible for the deeds of the past in that we, you know, we weren't alive. However, that privilege does accrue. And so there's still the necessity to either give something up or contribute into the healing. So uh, these conversations are, are very important, not only to have, but to act on. Right. You're absolutely right. And I want to I want to throw this at you. So in the last couple of years, we've been hearing about uh, possible reparations. Is that one way to help? Or how do we how do we get people on the same page as the way we're thinking or we're talking right now? How do we, you know, get people to understand that there is a significant difference, you know, in, in what's going on here. Well, Rob oh, yeah. calls it a call to responsibility. So, um, and he has, a, he has a, a portrait subject, uh, Robert Jensen, uh, who wrote the book, uh, The Heart of Whiteness, Confronting Race, Racism and White Privilege. And um, I, I jotted down a quote, uh, quote, the moral task of white America is to do something that doesn't come naturally to people in positions of unearned power and privilege, look in the mirror honestly and concede that we live in an unjust society and have no right to do to some of what we have. And I, I think it's important for people to know about the website, Americans Who Tell the Truth. This is Rob Shetterly's website, because there's, there's so much wisdom in there and so much that we need to learn and we need to pass on to, to the young people of America, if, if we're ever going to, you know, <laughs> rescue America. Agreed. Do you think that the young people even care? Do they think about it enough? I mean, how, you know, I, I'm not even sure. I'm not sure. Young people, young people care about fairness. Mm -hmm. uh, young people care about um, uh, the connections, you know, they are not, fortunately, most of the young people in America are not carrying the same baggage that many of us have uh, been burdened with uh, through the years. Uh, the idea of climate change and, and you know, global warming is not something you have to convince them of. You know, the idea that, um, you know, uh, gender uh, inequality is, is not something that we have to convince them of. Um, you know, there has been a tremendous um, healing, I think, uh, within many communities. And really what we find is that most of the resistance comes from people in, in power who simply don't want to give up what they have. Um, it's not hard to go into a school, as I did this week, and, and talk about the, um, the importance of, of justice for all. Uh, whether that's here in this nation or it's around the country, uh, around the world. 
Um, so that, it's not a hard sell on can, that. Can level. we talk about that for just a moment? I want to. Sure. I, I want to know what the youth responds to to what you say to them. You know, as we saw, you know, Mr. Shirley in his discussion. How did they respond to you when you when you're speaking about this? I mean, you know, we we start off talking about slavery, and um, you know, first of all, is it tangible for them? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You know, and you know, I think we have studies that show that by age three and four. Uh, children have already begun to put together the basic principles and, and the ways that our society works. They've already, you know, had the opportunity to observe us at our best and at our worst. And they began to put these things into a, a file that now they want to ask questions. So I have this amazing opportunity, as do many of those who, and Rob, of course, also goes into schools and talks about these concepts. If we look in the film and we see his interactions with, with the young people in the film, it's just amazing. What they want is you you to, to speak to them honestly and with integrity to answer the questions they have about the way the world works and why. And, and they're more than, uh, you know, fine with you saying, you know, this is something that we need to continue working on, or I don't know how can, but they have ideas about how, because they live it every day, you know, in their interactions with each other, uh, in their interactions with adults who I think children today, because of the nature of our world and the interconnectedness that we now enjoy through the, you know, the World Wide Web and, and, uh, and through access, they understand, I think, greater than any of us did growing up about the way the world restricts uh, freedom of movement, freedom of ideas, and it troubles them because they are empowered in a different way to have freedom and to pursue it. So I think where I get most of my hope these days is by interacting with these kids. They will flat out ask you, you know, a third grader, a fourth grader, why was it that only black people were slaves in America? And they want an answer. Uh, and, you know, you, so you have to come with a sense that you're going to treat their questions with integrity. And then you, we, I am often surprised by what they come up with. Uh, and, and, and they also seem on a greater level to understand intersectionality, that all of these things are connected. Hmm. And that is something I think that we adults are still having a lot of trouble with. Uh, we're working in our own silos and we're more interested in getting the agenda items uh, filled in. Uh, that is not true with children. You know, what you, one, one of the things you said, Reggie, <clears throat> was about empowering uh, young people. And I think that that's, that's one of the great goals of Rob's project and, and this film. I mean, take, for instance, uh, his subject, Zyanna Bryant. Well, first of all, he calls his subjects models of courageous citizenship. And I think that's really important because they act, let's take Zyanna's um, example. She walked by it from Charlottesville. She walked by the statue of Robert E. Lee day after day, every day going to her elementary school and middle school and every day walking by this uh, great figure, con Confederate general, who stood for the, the enslavement of her people. I mean, how does that affect one's psyche and soul? I mean, that, that's really debilitating. But when, when she decided that she would start a petition to take down that statue, she took the power. And 
by including her in the film and Rob including her in Americans Tell the Truth, he empowers other young people to do what they think that they know is right. So I think that this, this is one of the most important things that this film can do. And, and we're really focusing, targeting young people uh, in the distribution of this film. We, we currently have a, uh, um, a way in which to get it out uh, through the Veterans for Peace, an organization that was actually started in Maine and now is all, all across the country. Veterans for Peace is, fine, is funding uh, us to show the film in, well, 10 high schools to begin with. And then, uh, and then to have Rob present to kids because Rob is a tremendous um, speaker and um, he communicates so well with young people. They have this project called the Samantha Smith Challenge where she was an 11 year old in Maine and uh, she was so frightened of the uh, possibility of nuclear disaster that she asked her mother to write a letter to um, uh, Yuri Andropov who is the the premier of the Soviet Union. And, um, and her mother said, um, well, Samantha, why don't you write him a letter? So she wrote him a letter saying, why do you want to blow up America and the rest of the world? And he actually wrote her back. And he said, we don't, we, we want to live in peace like everyone, come visit my country. And so she went to visit Yuri Andropov in the Soviet Union in Moscow and this 11 year old became a teacher uh, of peace uh, in the world. So she took on the power and now Rob is using uh, Samantha Smith's um, story to encourage hundreds and, and thousands of other young people around the country to, uh, to start projects in which they draw portraits of their heroes and write in, uh, into the portrait a quote of theirs that epitomizes, you know, what they stand for. So I think young people are so central um, to this project. We're seeing it in, you know, in the film also in the climate change and, you know, the uh, the various uh, activists who are taking on the, the government and, you know, taking on the issues of, of legally opposing, uh, you know, actions of climate change. Uh, you know, injustice. But I also see it, you know, I see it in my own family with the Wickhams. The, um, mm -hmm. I have two cousins who are in their 20s. Um, we had a statue in the family. Williams Carter Wickham uh, was represented by a statue in Monroe Park. And, uh, and we all, as uh, we came together as Wickhams and Hewlett's, gathered at the statue trying to figure out what do we do with this? Well, two of our younger members, Clayton and Will Wickham, decided that they were going to write to the, and this is a few years ago before all of the turmoil, you know, rose up. Uh, they wrote to the mayor of, and the city council of Richmond asking that that statue be removed from public lands in Monroe Park. Uh, that letter, Virginia. In Virginia, Virginia. Mm -hmm. that letter went, you know, um, viral and uh, the New York Times found out about it. And uh, so they invited uh, Clayton and my cousin Wallace and I to come on and, and be interviewed about this statue. Well, in the meanwhile, uh, the statue of Williams Carter Wickham during the protests in 2020 was pulled down. Hmm. And, and my two cousins, Clayton and Will, uh, not only were right in the middle of all of those protests, but Clayton was arrested <laughs> and he talks about 
as a young white boy growing up in you know southern america walking by that statue knowing that it was a relative and someone of prominence and being confused by all of that and in the interview that we did not only with the new york times but finally with don lemon on cnn he talked about his coming of age as a an aware human being that this not only had to do with the past but it was what was uh, forcing people to be evicted from their homes. It was what was creating uh, financial injustice in the Richmond area. He spoke as a committed activist who really was coming of age at the age of 27 about his white privilege and also, and he said, the reason that this resonated so heavily is because of our connection. He turned to me and he said, you know, I know that with our history being intertwined, I know why I want to know you, but I'm wondering why you want to know us. And I said, mm, I yeah. want to know you and your side of the family because this is a window to creating a bridge that will bring more people with your privilege to mm. the issue of changing our world. Mm -hmm. I love that. I mm. love that. And Reggie, Reggie is just one of the most brilliant artists I know. He's not just a, a performer, a singer, but he's a songwriter and a storyteller. And, and that's, why, that's why he's in this film. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. How are you going to cut this? I, you know, I don't even know. What? <laughs> tell, us, tell us just a little bit more about your music and, and the way you use your music to, you know, stay on this agenda or, you know, put, uh, heal the world, I guess it is. Well, I was raised um, in a musical community, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was, um, from a very early age, music just really resonated with me. And, and even though it was just in the sense of singing and, uh, and being in a community that sang, um, I was being given just some tremendous gifts in those days of, of uh, be connected to music that was timeless, you know, the spirituals coming out of the time of slavery, the freedom songs, but also just music and the way that it, it changes the air. Uh, so when I became a songwriter, I started getting energized by listening to people like Bernice Johnson Reagan and Sweet Honey and the Rock and Pete Seeger, who I finally, both of those were people that I eventually met uh, and began to see that music wasn't just about entertainment that it is about creating community and that it is about opening up windows of opportunity for people to see things. And, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia, which was, ex you know, experiencing its share of, you know, oppressive, uh, you know, re you know re revolution through the 60s and, and 70s. Uh, but as I've traveled and as my music has been informed by what I see in the world, uh, I realized that this is a, a great opportunity. Uh, music uh, resonates with people in a way that words, just spoken words often don't. And so it also heals me to do it. Uh, so I'm very much aware that what I do is not only an outreach to others, but that it is my source of figuring things out in the world and healing myself. Um, you know, I've come through uh, any number of struggles, both, you know, um, um, physical and spiritual. I had a, a liver transplant in 2008. Um, I was about a week away from dying. And, and uh, because of an organ donation, I received a new liver. 
And in that instance, I was born into a new opportunity for life to really allow myself to be a channel for these messages that come. Uh, so I've been really blessed to, and graced to allow uh, what I love passionately to speak out in the world. And, uh, you know, through the pandemic, um, writing songs and, and making albums uh, and then going out and, and performing these songs for audiences that often don't look like me. Um, you know, I perform mostly for white audiences and, uh, you know, folk and, uh, and uh, Americana um, audience base that is still struggling with a lot of the fact that they don't know this history. They don't know um, uh, how our nation has been part of this grand scheme to deny uh, rights to people. Uh, so I get to introduce that uh, in a way that people can take it in. Um, I get a lot of people coming up to me after shows and saying, you know, I, I wasn't going to come tonight. You know, life is really hard. Um, but I looked at your website and you looked hopeful. And um, I take that as a great compliment um, that my presence is inviting to people. It's not that I'm not going to talk about difficult things, but I think that um, something that somebody said to me, one of my mentors, it's important to make points to people in ways that don't paralyze them, um, either with guilt or with fear. And it's also important as you tell the truth to give people some hope that that truth can turn into something. Uh, so that's sort of my marching orders. And um, um, I, I love what I powerful do. words. Very powerful. I do think that this film is a fountain of hope as is Rob Shetterly and Reggie and all the this portrait subjects, those models of courageous citizenship. If we don't have those models, you know, we don't have the hope. We need people out there like Reggie to communicate to us his hope. Absolutely. What a brilliant film. And I think you should leave him on that note. I wanna thank you gentlemen for this conversation. And I hope we can, the viewers can take this conversation and execute ways to make this world better. This will need to be healed, and these words were powerful today. Thank you for this beautiful film, The Truth Tellers. I guess we can go to thetruthtellers.com to find out more information. Is there another website we can reach you? or Truthtellersfilm.com. Film.com. Truthtellersfilm.com, as well as americanswhotellthetruth.org. There you go. Reggie's also got a website. How do we reach you, Reggie? I'm at reggieharrismusic.com the easy way to find it. That's what it is. Thank you for joining us, everyone, for this talk back for the 17th annual Harlem International Film Festival. As I said, the film festival is going on until May 22nd, 2022. Make sure you go to harlemfilmfestival.org. We're at event, eventive.org and find out more information on how to stream this film and many more. My name is Marcos Luis. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, Marcos. Thank you, guys. What a place.